Welcome to the Football by Football Podcast. And welcome back to the FBF Podcast. This is In the Game. Matt Chatham here with Brady Quinn. Uh, probably, you know, full disclosure for me, my favorite weekend of, of the NFL season, and really football season, because we get sort of a bang, bang, bang right in a row. Divisional football weekend next week is pretty good, too. I, I should say that. But this is it's, it's at least 1A and 1B for me because you get several meaningful NFL football games, and then you get it capped off with a college football championship game on Monday. So we get some Saturday football that really counts we get some Sunday football that really counts and then we get a huge game on Monday night so Brady I'll sort of tee this up to you because you've been way more tuned into this part of it than I Alabama and Clemson are hitting heads on Monday night so we'll sort of work our way backwards here I guess what are sort of your off the top thoughts from what's going to go down in that game well, I think the interesting thing about the national championship matchup, and, and obviously it's a rematch so people are going to try to kind of draw comparisons to last year's game the difference is, you know, this Alabama defensive front, I think, is even better than what they were last year. And I think the difference in Clemson is they have so many more weapons than what they had last year. So keep this in mind. Mike Williams, he had a neck injury. He didn't even play last season. He's their star wide receiver. He may very well be the first wide receiver taken in the 2017 draft. He is that good. He will be tough to match up against. Deion Kane, he was suspended for the game. He didn't play. Now, he's a complimentary piece, not necessarily their go-to guy, but he's got nine touchdowns this year, so he's had a lot of production. So the Alabama secondary is going to have their hands full with Kane, Williams, Jordan Leggett, Hunter Renfro's in there as well, Artavia Scott mixes in. I mean, they've got five legitimate options, Matt, that they can go to. It all depends on if the Clemson offensive line can hold up versus the likes of Jonathan Allen, Tim Williams, Ryan Anderson, and then when they tend to bring Reuben Foster at the linebacker position and, and whether or not they have any sort of balance with Wayne Gallman in the running game because they are so good up front. Reuben Foster, you know, again, he might be very similar to Reggie Ragland as far as his skill set, although I think he's faster and a little bit more dynamic. So, you know, it's not quite the same matchup as we saw a year ago, although I do feel like there will be fireworks. And on the flip side, um, it, it, there's like flashes of Derrick Henry from last year, but the kid's name's Bo Scarborough, and he obviously didn't play, but it, it, it feels like he played last year's game because his body type and his size and his skill set is very similar to Derrick Henry. Uh, so, you know, Alabama's going to try to run the football. They're going to have to have success running outside the tackles because their interior offensive line isn't very good. And, you know, Dexter Lawrence, he's a freshman. He's gigantic. He's a defensive tackle, second on the team in sacks. He's been incredibly impactful this year for this team. He's like 6'5", 350 pounds. Um, and, and so, you know, look, this Clemson defense is stout in the interior. It's whether or not they can kind of set that edge and stop Bo Scarborough before he gets going. So it's going to be a fantastic game. I can't wait to watch. I think, you know, the storylines going into it with, you know, Lane Kiffin moving on after right, being the right. OC in the semifinal of the game. Now Steve Sarkeesian taking over as the OC. I'll be, I'll be curious to see early on how they handle things because if you just look at the semifinal game, not saying that Ohio State is comparable to Washington, but Washington drove right down the field and scored. And, and then I really felt like, you know, they kind of got out of a rhythm for whatever reason, and the offensive coordinator, Jonathan Smith, had you know, maybe one of his worst games. You know, they stopped ta- uh, targeting Dante Pettis. They stopped doing some of the things that they were successful with on that very first drive, and Alabama eventually kind of, you know, overcame that deficit 
took the lead and really never looked back. And the defense was put in such bad positions so many times. Uh, if you're Washington, that it was just it was only a matter of time before Alabama was going to build a lead and start scoring. Um, you know, Clemson shut out Ohio State. It wasn't even close. It was right. a dominant performance. So that's why I said, you know, this game could be different than last year for many reasons. But if any in particular for the players that didn't play in last year's game, like Mike Williams, like Deion Kane, and maybe even Bo Scarborough for Alabama. Yeah, the thing that makes it really interesting to me, and it's probably if you're the college football playoff committee, you're. You, I, I wonder how they feel about this because they got some non-competitive games, more so obviously in the Ohio State than the other, and then that brings in the whole Penn State argument and even Michigan or however you want to look at that. But it, I would have gone into this, and I, I it was a coin flip for me, and I hadn't studied teams and the, these two teams enough to know who would have come out of that. But Clemson beating them so handily. Uh, I think sort of reinvigorates this idea that it's not just going to be an Alabama walk through the playoff, and that's probably helpful. I mean, you need to have that juice on the back end because it there had it started to feel, at least as the the playoff was put together, even the last couple of weeks before it was put together, that there was this sort of inevitability for Alabama. It kind of doesn't feel that way now, and that's that's probably good when you're when you're dovetailing off of a couple NFL games. You know, wildcard weekend happens Saturday, Sunday. Is there still an appetite for Monday night if you're not interested in just those two teams? I think there should be. I think if you're just simply a football fan, this is an exciting matchup against two teams. The other half of it for me is I was dead wrong. And again, I I certainly don't watch this as closely as you do. And I see a lot of other conferences besides these. But I was I've been sort of tepid about my feelings on the ACC throughout the year. Anyhow, so I was I probably held the SEC, I'd say up until midseason until a lot of them started to fall off. But I held the Big Ten, obviously, a much higher regard than they performed in the playoffs or in throughout the bowl season. I figured that there was going to be a little more pushback. From from the pack, but then again, they 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 got paired against the, the Alabama, and that's sort of everyone's darling, and rightfully so. Uh, but I thought of the four that that the ACC might be the weakest showing, even with 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 some of the stars that Clemson has. But them showing out how they did, and then the bull record that you've seen in the ACC throughout this throughout this whole process over the last month, uh, especially against some bull, some other other ranked teams, the ACC fared really well. So if they're the best of that pile. All of a sudden, maybe the, the gap between the two of them isn't as great as many people may have thought. And like you mentioned, I mean, they played each other a year ago, so I think you have a sense of that they're within puncher's range of each other anyhow. So going to be an exciting game, uh, very fascinating, and I'll still have an appetite yeah. even after a Saturday-Sunday. So, well, One thing to your point that I thought was fascinating quickly was this. You know, if you would have said what was the worst conference of the Power Five in college football this year, yeah. you probably would have said the Big 12, right? And yeah, people look yeah. at the Big 12, and they're like, all of style. offense, no defense. Yep, exactly. This bowl season, the Big 12 actually allowed the fewest amount of points in their bowl <laughs> only 21.5. The ACC, to your point, was right there with them at 22.3. The two worst conferences, Big 10, 29.8 points a game, and the Pac-12, 29.2. So a, kind of a, a bit surprising to see how well the Big 12 and the ACC performed, at least from a defensive perspective. Yeah, interesting. So as we uh, sort of get back in here to the NFL, and, and it, like we said, we got wild card weekends. So you got a couple games on Saturday, a couple games on Sunday, uh, and we wanted to sort of break this up. And it, it, for people who are listening to the show, obviously Brady Quinn's on here with me. Brady Papinga could not do it at the same time. He's in LA, and we're doing an early morning taping here. So Brady sent in his his responses. So the way we're going to sort of frame this is we're going to go through each of the four games and uh, sort of talk about the major what you'll. Be 
be looking for in each of the games? What do you think will sort of be like, I don't know, deciding factor is the right word, but you know, the, the biggest thing that you think will matter most? Uh, and for each of these games, we, we drop in some thoughts here from Brady Papenga off the top. So here off the top in this Houston Raiders game, we'll give you Brady's thoughts here. My biggest take from the Houston Oakland Raider game is going to be Brock Osweiler. And I believe Brock Osweiler is going to play his best game of the season for two reasons. First, he's had a lot of success versus the Oakland Raiders. The first go-around in Mexico City, I was there on the sidelines. I saw it firsthand. Brock Osweiler played well enough to help his team win the game. The factor in who what ended up deciding that game wasn't Brock Osweiler's poor play between quotations. It was some close calls, uh, some questionable calls by Bill O'Brien, one of which was putting in the backup running back in a third or fourth down to one, a critical play, instead of Lamar Miller, who at that time the Oakland Raiders defense had no answers for, and they ended up coming a chain link short, which there was a controversial uh, spot on the ball. Uh, but outside of that, Brock Osweiler was owning that Oakland Raiders defense, especially in the middle of the field with his big tight end, Fedorowicz. So he's got that to, to fall back on. And the second thing, the best thing to happen to Osweiler this year was the worst possible thing outside of maybe being injured, and that is being thrown to the bench. And a lot of times when you're thrown to the bench, it's liberating because now you're like, okay, this was the worst thing, and maybe it was a subconscious fear, even a conscious fear of his, and when you've already had to handle maybe what was the worst thing that could have happened outside of having a season-ending injury, and you bounce back and and you have a game like Brock Osweiler had this last week to where he was playing more free, he was playing more in tune with what the defense was giving him, for example, on a, a, uh, a goal-to-go play. I forget if it was first, second, or third down. He drops back to pass, quickly goes through his progressions, realizes that the defense's rush had just parted in front of him, and boom, runs it instead of you know forcing a ball, panicking, throwing the ball out of the end zone, and ends up scoring the touchdown and celebrated uh, like he had you know all of a sudden jumped out of his old skin and, and felt like, you know, he had been liberated from what was ever, you know, weighing him down before. So I'm going to I'm looking to him to have a big game. And I'm not saying that, uh, you know, all of a sudden he's going to take the Texans to the Super Bowl. But I'd, I would pick the Texans in this game. And I think it will be because Brock Osweiler is going to go out and play a good enough game. And I'm not, again, I'm not I'm not automatically going to anoint this guy the next coming of Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady. But I think he's going to play well enough to where he's going to help the Houston Texans beat a team that's been decimated uh, by injuries at the most important position in the Oakland Raiders, uh, talking about Derek Carr's uh, injury. So Brady seems to think that Brock Osweiler could have a turnaround game. Now, we all understand that this is a extremely unusual situation. Connor Cook's going to get his first NFL start in a playoff game. Best of my knowledge, I think is ESPN stats and info anyway that I saw earlier this week that that I believe does, has never happened before. Uh, but uh, an interesting matchup or maybe very not interesting, depending on your point of view of two teams that have struggled offensively quite a bit that now go head to head. Brady, what do you see in this particular game? Well, look, Brock Osweiler played better the last time he played in Mexico City versus the Raiders, but they still lost. I mean, the fact of the matter is Brock Osweiler was with a better Denver Broncos team last year when he started against the Raiders. He lost that matchup. He's 0-2 in his last two starts with the Raiders with a better roster last year for the Denver Broncos. And then this year with a team that, you know, I think we're all kind of surprised. I just never saw the jump. I never saw the leap from Brock Osweiler. Uh, this season. So I'm not sure what would lead anyone to think that this would be a good situation for him uh, to all of a sudden have his breakout game. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he does because the Oakland Raiders have given up a ton of yards this year. 
I mean, if you look at their defensive rankings, they're not that great because they got, you know, crushed early on this year, and they've been known to give up some big plays. They're kind of feast or fam. They can get turnovers. They get pressure with Mac uh, and guys like Bruce Irvin up front. But on the back end, you know, sometimes they've been kind of hit or miss as far as their ability to cover down and really generate turnovers. So when I'm looking at this matchup, I think there will be some opportunities for Brock Oswald. My concern is, is really this. It's, you know, whether or not the Oakland Raiders' offense can do anything to put pressure on Brock Oswald. And with Connor Cook starting his first NFL game in the playoffs, which is the first time this has happened for a rookie quarterback in the Super Bowl era, uh, it, it's tough flooding. And it kind of falls on then the Oakland Raiders' coaching staff to figure out how you want to go about constructing a game plan to help protect uh, Connor Cook. And if you just look at Week 17 as any sort of idea of what that may look like, it's not going to look favorable for Cook. He had, I want to say, 21 pass attempts in that game. They threw the ball 32 times in that game. They only ran the ball 16. They, they threw the ball twice as much with a backup quarterback and a third-string quarterback in a meaningful game in Week 17. Right. So maybe that's just their identity. Maybe that's who they feel like they are at this point, uh, which to me, look, if you put together Latavius Murray and Jalen Richard and, and Washington in the backfield and you look at the yards per attempt, it's actually pretty good. Now, that could be skewed because they don't run the football that often, so maybe it has some sort of like inverse relation where teams who tend to throw the football a lot, they end up having a better yards per attempt because when they do rush, you know, there's usually the favorable box count or, or bigger right. running lanes to run through, bigger plays, as opposed to teams that run the ball a lot, their yards per attempt per passing game are, are bigger or longer. So that's kind of that inverse relation. So I'll be curious to see – how many attempts, you know, Murray and Richard and Washington get in this game and see if they rely a little bit more on the running game as opposed to throwing the football. Uh, because you're going up against the number two pass defense in the NFL. Romeo Cornell is one of the more underappreciated assistants, I believe, in the NFL this season as far as losing arguably the, um, you know, perennial NFL defensive player of the year in J.J. Right. Watt, yet still being able to have production from this Houston Texans defense and, and you can credit Genevieve Clowney or Whitney Merciless as far as their rush and the secondary and the way they play this year. But at the end of the day, he's come up with scheme after scheme, week after week, to stop opponents. And I think he's going to have some good stuff for Connor Cook. It's going to be a, an uphill battle, I believe, for Cook and the Raiders, even as talented as they are on their offensive line and, and outside of the wide receiver position. You brought up a heck of a lot of good stuff there, and, and I'll try to pull it all back. And, and I had some similar thoughts, too, and I, I love that you went down sort of that stat angle on yards per carry. It's one of the most obnoxious things that we deal with in this in this market all the time where, you know, they'll, there's, they'll, people will pound on LeGarrette Blunt, say, LeGarrette Blunt's yard per carry is three-point whatever, and this back's is four-point whatever. So clearly the guy with four points is a better back than the guy with three-point. But the way it works, and, and you sort of touched on this, if you're a back who gets it in a lighter box, well, then shoot, you Yards per carry better be better be good, and, and Blunt comes in with the packages with a fullback in tow, and then that changes to regular. Then the box is packed, and of course you're not going to get the same yard per carry. It's something that cannot be compared like free throw percentages. It just can't. It's it's stupid. But we get into that like, oh, this back is x you know yards per this, and and you know what? Why? Well, there's a reason. There's context to how you get to that point, and I love that. And it's it's something that I guess I'll take sort of back to how I had some frustration. I guess is studying 
explain this. And I put a video up on, on, F, on FBF uh, this week. Uh, check it out there on the YouTube channel or on the webpage. Uh, you, where I went into sort of, okay, good Lord, Connor Cook has got a very small sample. He's just played basically one series north of a half of football. Uh, what do they do with him? And, and what I found was pretty much what you said, like why in the world are they passing so much? And, and there was moments in that game, Bill Musgrave, the OC there, who's a really creative guy. I mean, if you go back through the season when it was Derek Carr, they run a lot of different formations. They run a lot of heavy packages and goofy formations where they load stuff with bunch sets and, and will still run into them. You know, it's a, he's a creative guy. So I think it, what they come up with here will be really interesting to see because I think they've got it in their kitty. They just didn't use a lot of it last week, at least not in a timely fashion. But the thing that's interesting to me is sort of the back usage. And you touched on all the guys, Latavius Murray being one or Washington the other. To me, those are sort of the, the hammer and nail kind of thing. You can go either of a couple different ways. But Murray often is, he's the big back. He's the 6'2", 6'3", guy, a little heavier, gets different situations. So sort of the expectation about what you'll get from him for, as a defense changes, right? And then they stick in the other guy, and he's more the slasher. He'll still be an inside runner, but he gets the lighter boxes. So you, maybe he gets a bigger chunk. It's not, it's not that back's better than the other. It's just more situational. But what I found really odd is when I go back and watch the way they responded in that Denver game, relative to the November game. The, uh, the Broncos and Raiders played early in the season, and I think you and I did the show. I'm, I'm blanking. It might have been Brady Papingo. We talked about this at length about, holy crap, the Raiders, we should all start taking them a little more seriously. Derek Carr throws for 180 yards or something in that game. Had a clean game. It, it wasn't that he was a bad game. He had a nice game management kind of game, but it was like 43 carries, something crazy like that for the Raiders. They beat the, the Broncos 30 to 20. It was sort of that, stamp game for them that said, hey, it doesn't have to all be Derek Carr and we can get this done. And, uh, you know, Murray has a huge game. Washington has some yards. It was just one of those games was like, wow, these guys have sort of like a Dallas Cowboys light kind of offensive line. They can switch in a minute and really get something done. Now, you could counter argue that, hey, that's the, you know, the threat of Derek Carr tearing you up helps allow for some of those running yards. That's possible as well. But, in in my sort of view of what I saw from how they were using Connor Cook is I thought they weren't taking advantage of what they've got. Uh, they've got a great offensive line. They go into some of those heavy packages. They can be effective that way. A lot of the wide receivers do a pretty good job blocking as well. I would look for the kind of game here where if the Raiders are able to pull this off, they need to switch their run their run pass splits at least to 50-50, maybe 60-40 kind of situation. And in my view, get Connor Cook under center. He, he looks so much better than when there's a run pass threat, or at least pistol, where there's a run pass threat. When it was straight drop back, he's just a young kid who hasn't had, he doesn't have that much experience. He'd look lost, and that's when his mistakes came out. So we'll be kind of watching that i'll be trying to keep my eye on on how they use the dude and i think that'll be a big factor in whether they can pull this off i actually think this is closer than a lot of people i've seen a lot of a lot of pundits a lot of people are just sort of gravitating towards houston sort of slam bang having this i think it'll be maybe a boring game to to some folks because i think the game plans both sides are going to be pretty conservative i don't think either side wants to concede a turnover because gaining a possession here could be a death knell for one of the two back and forth uh you know field position kind of game Somebody needs to score four times. That's that's kind of always the standard I look to. You know, get to twenty points. Two scores, two field goals. Who can the race to twenty? Which doesn't sound exciting, but that would be getting it done for either of either of these two offenses. So we'll move here on to to the Seattle game, Seattle and the Lions. And here again, we'll insert Brady Papinga's thoughts with the Lions and the Seahawks. This one is going to be fascinating because. Here you got a Seahawks team who comes limping into this game against the Lions, and a Lions team who also is banged up 
at their most po- important position with Matthew Stafford. And, and with the Seahawks, I mean, you have you know Tyler Lockett, who has the, the gruesome leg break there on a long touchdown catch. What a, there's not a better way to actually get hurt than have an unbelievable catch result in the touchdown. Unfortunately, he did get hurt. So they're losing you know, an explosive special teams player, an explosive player out on the edge offensively, an explosive player in space. And we're going to see how Russell Wilson's, you know, able to manage that. And we'll see if this makeshift offensive line of the Seattle Seahawks is able to get the running game going because that's going to be key if the Seahawks are going to be able to make a run. And then the other thing is Earl Thomas. Can this Seahawks defense uh, overcome that loss? And it looks right now that they just don't have the same kind of edge to them they don't play with that same kind of confidence of knowing, and I'm talking about the undercover guys, of knowing that, hey, you got the ultimate eraser and Earl Thomas playing behind you, so you can play a little more aggressively. You can take a little bit more risks. They don't seem to have that. And so it's going to be interesting to see how they're able to compensate for that loss of Earl Thomas. And if they can and if they get that running game going, they're going to be the team to beat, I would say, on the NFC side. Uh, but the Lions don't sleep on them. Matthew Stafford's finger, middle finger, is looking like it's getting better every day, and that's going to only help him be the Matthew Stafford that got on a roll before he ended up hurting that finger to where he was, was he was playing as good as anybody. So now Brady Papinga touches here on on the the banged up roster situation, and it is kind of an interesting game that that two that are going against one another have that same same issue in front of them. What, what particularly are what particularly are you looking in this Seattle game, Brady? Well, for me, I just had them in week seventeen. So some of the things that I was kind of looking forward to seeing was that they shirt up some of their special teams, which. They, they kind of didn't. I mean, their long snapper, uh, Freeze, he actually snapped it over John Ryan's head for a safety in that game. Um, they had, I want to say, maybe another blocked kick at some point earlier in the game. So there's been a number of issues they've had over the past couple weeks leading into the playoffs now. Uh, they had a blocked punt two weeks ago playing against the Atlanta, or excuse me, Arizona Cardinals. They had a, a missed PAT, a missed field goal. There, there's a number of things that they've had issues with in the kicking game and punting game. So it starts there. They have to shore up all of that because when you talk about playoff football, a lot of people don't even take into account talking about special teams because they always feel like special teams is going to be taken care of. Like these are going to be some of the better uh, special teams units in the NFL. That's why they're there. They they win the field position battle um, at the the very best, at the very least. um, It's it's break even. You look at Seattle this year in the return game, they're like 12th in the league. But that always takes into account largely – Tyler Lockett and his impact that he's had on the return game. He's hurt. He's out now. Now, they signed Devin Hester. Who knows what he'll bring to the table? Clearly, he's he's a Hall of Famer if you look at his career as a return man. But how much gas does he have in the tank? We'll have to wait and see. So that's what I'm really looking at, you know, whether or not the special teams will be shored up. And then kind of, I guess, the last thing, uh, you know, the offensive line is, is one of the youngest in the NFL as far as experience. And I think a lot of people look at them, and just, and in my opinion, from watching a lot of tape on them, they just haven't seen the growth that I think that group, not the same group, but the group last year did for the first half and the second half of the season. Exactly. So because of that, um, I think there's some things that, that maybe the Lions could exploit, but the problem is they haven't been good rushing the passer this year. And they're 30th in the league in sacks. They have 26 overall. Ziggy Ansah, their best player, has been playing banged up. He only has two sacks. So if that's the case, you know, defensive coordinator Terrell Austin's going to have to dial up some pressures, which, you know, then it takes away your ability to double Jimmy Graham or double Doug Baldwin, who are the two best, you know, uh, pass-catching options. 
So, you know, typically you see a matchup like this and you see how bad the offensive line play has been and consistent it's been for Seattle. You'd say, oh, Detroit maybe has the advantage there defensively, but they don't because they just haven't been good all year long um, trying to stop teams uh, as far as getting negative plays and getting sacks and things of that nature. So I, I have to think that Seattle's going to have a, a pretty strong performance at home to try to get back on track. Yeah, interestingly enough, uh, you know, a lot of the things I think that that I would be talking about this week had it had Seattle not looked like they did in the game you worked there down in San Francisco. Uh, you know, it, I think it changes the narrative. I think if if they go down there, take care of business, uh, Seattle has been an up-and-down team all year. I think the biggest issue you could look at them, if you just look over the 16, was putting two back-to-back. You know, they've been a good game, bad game, good game, bad game all year. And last week should have been good game. Last week should have been, you know, shore up things as you said and just sort of get back on track you're going to get a home game in the playoffs uh you know it, it you, you'll be back to what people expect of seattle can they make a four game run maybe not there's not been enough consistency to show there but i look at really two teams i, I don't love the phrase back into the playoffs because they had won enough games where they they had they had done what they needed to do they were in but you, you don't you certainly don't get good vibes about either of these two teams and i don't know how valuable that really is but the the real sort of wrecking ball that's supposed to be seattle uh, you're supposed to get scary running game quarterback that can just br- make plays when things break down and a defense that gets after you and i think there's a little less concern about seattle's defense without earl thomas and brady brady papinga touched on that a little bit and i think the idea that you know thomas rawls could be a 150 yard game back you know he could be a guy that goes and rips off a huge one and you know in and out game between him and russell and 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 doug baldwin and then maybe getting the tight end more involved jimmy graham's kind of a week to week thing we just never know if he's going to have a big game or not uh but all these things have been so inconsistent. It's just, you know, for people to gamble out there, people that, that wager on games and love to get into that part, it's now crept up to, to a, a, an eight-point thing for Seattle. I wonder if part of that's just venue and, you know, relying upon this, the helmet sticker to be what you remember from the past. But these are neither of these two teams, <laughs> you really feel great about what it is you're going to get. The one thing that's been interesting from the Detroit side is that they've had, you know, for three quarters of this season we talked about no running game, no running game, no running game. Man, this is all on Matthew Stafford's shoulders, and he's having all these fourth-quarter comebacks, and he's just keeping things you know, tied together by a thread, and they're pulling it off in the end. And this is Zach Zenner, a kid from South Dakota State. And full disclosure, everyone out there knows I went to South Dakota, which is their rival. So I love seeing sort of the un- un- unheralded back, do good kind of thing. You know, uh, Michael Bennett sort of joking on the fact that he's a the white guy running back, and he is. I mean, there, there certainly aren't a lot of him out there. But uh, I, I think it's been a really nice story for the league, him and Burkhead, the kid in, in Cincinnati that had a, had a few good weeks at the end of the season. But it, it helped them be sort of – it gave them sort of a semblance of, of – respectability in their run game, but it's still not something I think they can go to for 25 to 30 carries. And that might be necessary against Seattle because that helps slow any pass rush that they would have. So I I think that'll probably be the thing I'll be looking for. Can, can Detroit go out and establish a run game and slow this thing and keep it from, from going the other direction? Uh, And, you know, nobody really knows that, but it's probably one of the games when I I sort of touched on the wagering aspect of it, I'm staying, I'm steering from this because I really don't know who, to rely upon on either of the two. And then you're just betting on buildings and 
Eh. But it'll just be fun to watch. It'll be an interesting game. So here we'll we'll transition now here into the Steelers game. Steelers Dolphins uh, game, obviously at Heinz, which is a huge factor for for these Pittsburgh Steelers over the years. And we'll hear first here from Brady Peping and his thoughts on the game with the Dolphins and Steelers. You know, the first time these two teams went uh, played, the Dolphins dominated the Steelers up front, and you'd have to believe that the Steelers are going to go back to that film and say, guys, this will never happen again, especially here in Pittsburgh. Ben Roethlisberger was also knocked out of that game. Le'Veon Bell right now is playing as good as any offensive player in the NFL. Uh, to me, it's the Steelers to lose, but they will get a valiant fight from the Miami Dolphins. Well, Brady said it well. You know, obviously there's running game. I mean, I think this jumps to mind with both these teams, Jay Ajayi for the Dolphins and, and obviously Le'Veon Bell for the Steelers. Got to assume they'll be a big factor in this game. Uh, Brady Quinn, what do, you, what do you see going down in this one? Well, to me, for both of these teams, they're going to have players coming back off of injury who will play a huge impact in helping the running game or stopping the running game. So for the Miami Dolphins, Mario Williams will be back at defensive end, and Jelani Jenkins is probable to come back at the linebacker position. Byron Maxwell should be back as well at the cornerback position to kind of help right. out in some of the pass coverage. But as far as the run stoppers, they're getting some, some of those guys back. And then for Pittsburgh, Stephen Tewitt, defensive end, He'll be probable for this game. Then tight end Ladarius Green, he'll be probable as well. So you've got a guy helping the run game for Pittsburgh and a guy helping to stop the run game uh, for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So some of those key pieces coming back as far as injuries and all that, and I'm curious to see how that will play a factor um, in, in really these two teams scoring off. I actually want to talk about the passing game okay. because there's a couple things that play here. A lot of people kind of think that this game's in the bag for the Pittsburgh Steelers because they're playing at home. It's Big Ben. He's rested. Le'Veon Bell's rested. Antonio Brown's rested. These guys are ready to go, and they're going to light up a Miami Dolphins defense. that I, th- I believe it's ranked 30th in the league in the regular season in pass defense, which, sidebar conversation, wouldn't that lead you to think that Vance Joseph, the defensive coordinator in Miami, who's been a hot name for a lot of these head coaching vacancies, wouldn't you be questioning him? I mean, <laughs> you're, you're, you're talking about Matt Patricia or, or Vance Joseph. You look at the number one scoring defense versus a defense that's mightily struggled this year in the Miami Dolphins. Yeah. I think if anyone's looking at a coach of the year award, it's Adam Gase. I don't know about Vance Joseph, but that being said, um, when you look at these matchups with two of these teams both through the air, Miami has some favorable matchups. I mean, the fact of the matter is you've got two rookies starting and Artie Burns at cornerback and Sean Davis at safety for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, they've gotten better over the course of, of really the last seven games. They haven't allowed right. over 250 yards passing. Uh, which isn't necessarily the best stat to kind of throw out there. But if you look at, you know, really the first nine games, they struggled at times uh, to, to not give up over 250 yards passing per game, regardless who the opponent was. They didn't have a great performance versus the Cleveland Browns a week ago, a one-win team. Not that that mattered considering some of the starters were out, uh, but still they should have been able to handle the Cleveland Browns much easier than an overtime game. Uh, so so I, I think I look at the matchups and I say Jarvis Landry, no one's been able to cover him. Uh, Adam Gase will find unique ways to get him the football. Kenny Stills has had a big year. Uh, Devontae Parker has continued to get better. So, you know, those three guys are going to be a handful for a Pittsburgh Steelers defense that isn't great necessarily rushing the passer to force the football out. And in the secondary, has been known to give up big plays and yards. So that being the case, I, I think, look, there's a strong chance that Miami could play this game close and that Adam Gase could set up a nice game plan for Matt Moore to you know, do some do some pretty simple things while still being able to be extremely effective. And then for Big Ben, you know, again, the weakness of this Miami Dolphins defense has been its secondary. Um, but you know, guys who should be motivated to step up with Mario Williams coming back, 
the other guy on the other side is Cameron Wake. This is the first time he's ever played in the playoff game. And you know, right. I, I think for a lot of people out there, they're like, all right, what's the big deal? Well, the problem is, you know, I only got to the playoffs in an eight-year career once. And, and it's, it's hard to get there sometimes depending on what teams you're on. It's only 12 and 32 that go. Unless you're fortunate to be in a good organization on a good team, you know, it's hard to get there. So I'm sure he's going to be highly motivated to have a big game and try to be disruptive uh, knowing that he, he may, you know, at this point in his career he may not have another chance to get back there again. And, and the Pittsburgh Steelers' offensive line has played pretty well this year, uh, so we'll see how effective he can be. And like I said, there will be a lot of mismatches on Antonio Brown, depending on how they want to try to cover him. And Sammy Coach should be back as well. He was dealing with a hamstring injury. So, right. you know, I think as far as the aerial attack goes, I think both teams, if the, if the weather's not too windy, I'm not even worried about cold. If it's not too windy, I think they should be able to pass the ball pretty effectively versus each defense. The weird thing for me here is I, I think, you know, I hate to put too much into mojo or <laughs> a momentum or whatever the hell you want to call it, but this this Miami Dolphins defense has had a bad December. It just it just there's really no way around it. They they've been they've been giving up sick numbers on the ground. Just just disgusting numbers. And you touched on their issues sort of through the secondary and through passing game, but this to me is, you know, if you were going to say, "Hmm, What's the one matchup we don't want? And 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 Brady Brady Papinga touched on this. They, the Dolphins should have a little bit of good feeling here because they did go beat them. Although although Big Ben got injured in that game, they have beaten them in a head-to-head matchup, and it was pretty decisive. But it was also several months ago. The way this Steelers offensive line uh, has worked with Le'Veon Bell is pretty incredible because it, it, Le'Veon Bell is a, is is an incredible talent, but he's also weird. I see that affectionately, but he runs such a different style than every other back in the league. It's this sort of weird dance, pause, you know, wait for weird stuff to happen, and then slash and explode through the line. It's just a an incredibly patient guy. I would argue it sometimes. You know, again, I think he's. I do without a doubt think he is one of if not the best back in the league but sometimes overly patient there's sometimes where it's hey just go dude you know and don't do the dance but the Dolphins have really really had a hard time in the last month with this stuff going on from guard to guard you know and Dominican Sue's there in the middle but he's such a like shade guy you know to get into the sort of weeds here of X's nose he loves to sort of tilt get in a gap and just dive through the thing, you know, try to manhandle the guard. He's a, he's a penetrator, right? But when he's in situations where he's got to sit down and hold gaps or hold single blocks, he gets moved a lot. And I think it's surprising if you go look on tape that uh, in direct run stuff where it's just, hey, be a be a, be a a straight-up dude, be a Vince Wilfork, he's not very good at it. I, I don't think he's very good at that at all. And the Patriots ran right at him, you know, in doubles, he gets moved out, which the big guys are supposed to hold their ground a little better in that situation plus they play a lot of uncovered center so or they leave the center uncovered like to get their guys out wide in the gaps and get up field well that means the centers and guards climb to Kiko Alonso at the middle linebacker position they get up to him pretty easy and Kiko is not he's not Brandon Spikes he's not a 270 pound linebacker that can thump and really be physical with guards he's a he's a runaround guy a guy that's athletic and go sideline to sideline but the Steelers guards uncovered or center climbing up to Kiko or doubling and moving out Sue and that super patient back and Le'Veon Bell right behind them. To me, that's a formula for 200 yards. I mean, like that's the kind of thing where they're going to have to, it'd be really interesting just to watch and see if, 
there are any front changes out of Miami. And I know that's tough to tell from TV copy, but are they willing to put someone right over the nose? Are they willing to play a, a, a true nose guard, go with a five-man line, bare fronts? I mean, again, this is radio, so we can't get into all that. But are they willing to sort of take up the interior gaps and, and dare them to beat them a different way? They didn't make that adjustment from the Buffalo game to the Patriots game. And the Patriots went right back after them and walked the ball down the field on the ground. So I, I just think that Miami is in a situation where they're, they've been reeling a little bit defensively. They picked up a team that hits them right in that same spot again. They haven't shown the willingness, and you, you sort of touched on Vance Joseph. I'd love to see it, what he comes back with this week because that'll be telling if they're they're able to do the right thing because if it's just more of the same, man, I could see Pittsburgh walking right through them and, and, and not even being competitive, but we will see. And now we finish up with a final game here. You get the, the Green Bay Packers and the New York Giants. I think a lot of people have sort of a feeling that this might be your best sort of toe-to-toe kind of matchup, two teams that are that are both peaking. I think in a lot of the other situations, we're talking about teams that have had nicks and scrapes and, and some lulls and not all quite on top of what they're doing. But of, of the of the four-game matchups, this is the one where you have two teams that are playing some of their best football. Uh, and we'll hit, hear from uh, Brady Papinga and see his thoughts on the game. And then with the Packers and the, the Giants, I'm going to be covering that game on Fox Deportes, one Pacific, four Eastern, in Spanish, so if you want to hear how I break down Aaron Rodgers dissecting and, and ultimately uh, you know, dropping dimes on defenses, leading his offenses to score in Spanish, tune into Fox Deportes for this one. But, hey, I, I was there when Eli Manning came in. We were in 07 when we were the uh, favorite team. Nobody expected the Giants to, hey, go to the Super Bowl, let alone win it. And, man, he came in there and he was poised. He made the throws necessary, ended up knocking us off and obviously going on into the Super Bowl and, and beating that daunted 16-0 Patriots team. And so can never sleep on the sleepy-eyed Eli Manning. But I'll tell you what, Aaron is playing as good as I've seen him play since the Super Bowl run back in 2010. And if he can maintain that level of play, then the Packers are the team to beat out of the NFC side of the bracket. Okay, and Brady, you know, touches obviously on the quarterback matchup. I think that's the place where a lot of people are going to go. Rogers hot, Eli not necessarily hot, but has has had a, a pattern of playing well at this time of year. Brady Quinn, what what are you looking for particularly in this game? Well, yeah, a lot of people are kind of giving this game uh, a lot of credit for being as competitive as any that will be played this weekend. I, I'm not necessarily I buy into that. Here's the reason why. Okay. If you look at the New York Giants team that I think in the playoffs that were led by Eli Manning that went into Lambeau and won, that were, you know, he's 2-0 and in Lambeau in the playoffs, it was an entirely different team. For starters, their defensive line had two edge rushers. I don't believe JPP is going to be able to be back from a sports hernia. Doesn't sound like game. it, yeah. So yeah. a lot of pressure is going to be put on Romeo Aquara, who's shown a flash of being able to, but that kind of fizzled out after their win at the uh, Dallas Cowboys uh, a few weeks ago. So all the pressure is going to be on Olivier Vernon. And for what, he came from the Miami Dolphins from being a native of South Florida. I watched him for a number of years. And unfortunately, when there's not that other side to help give some sort of element of pressure, he has struggled. He struggled with double teams, chips, and all of that. I don't know how much pressure they'll be able to get onto Aaron Rodgers. And look, Bakhtiari, their left tackle for the Green Bay Packers, has played as good as anyone this year at the left well, tackle yeah. position. So he's going to have a tough matchup uh, for starters. Janoris Jenkins, he's probable for this game. He's been dealing with a back injury. Hasn't been playing quite as many snaps, and that's, that's pivotal because if you think about this, Randall Cobb should be back. He's practiced this week for the Packers. Yep. He should be back to play. That just adds one more weapon to Aaron Rodgers' arsenal alongside of Jordy Nelson, Devontae Adams, Geronimo Allison, who came out of nowhere, Jared Cook at the tight end position, 
and now Cobb. That doesn't even mention Timeline Grummer, who's been a nice pass-catching option out of the backfield since you converted to running back. So I just don't see this New York Giants defense being the same as the ones that waltzed in there and were able to make it through before. And then the other issue is the offensive line. When you look at the Super Bowl runs of the New York Giants back in 2007, 2011, their offensive line was so much better than what we're seeing uh, from the New York Giants now. Eric Flowers has struggled at the tackle position. John Jerry struggled uh, really at the guard position. And really, the, the right side of the offensive line has struggled at times this year being inconsistent. But it's not the same offensive line. I think that's why their rushing numbers have been so poor. Uh, and I think Ben McAdoo and Eli Manning have been able to cover up a lot of things. And then also Odell Beckham. Odell Beckham Jr. being able to get open quicker uh, has helped that because he's so good in man-to-man coverage, be able to beat press man-to-man and, you know, be able to get open quicker so you're not holding on to the football for the extra half second that allows teams to get you or get a sack. So I just don't see, as well as the Giants have played this year, you know, being a Dallas Cowboys with the number one team in the NFC twice, as, as good as that's been, I just don't see them waltzing into Lambeau and be able to win this game. Uh, Eli Manning's got to have arguably the game of his life. You're going up against the hottest team in the NFC right now, the Green Bay Packers who won six straight. So I think the Packers win, and I actually think they win this pretty handily. Yeah, the one thing I've been I've been sort of hesitant to do, I guess, with the Packers on this run they've had the last six, seven weeks is they've ha- they've sort of had a knack for taking other hot teams and, and just playing above that. I think that's probably, they entered the tournament as one of the more intriguing teams out there that that has really been sort of a Jekyll and Hyde team. You almost can't even look at the first half of the season for them. You just have to evaluate them for who they've been the last, last basically six weeks, that month and a half. Uh, and I say that because, you know, the, the Giants have been on one of the hottest streaks for defensive football of the last quarter of the season as well. I have to give them credit there. And, and, and honestly, the Patriots kind of sit in that same realm, uh, two teams that are really playing their best defensive football late. And I've said this throughout the year. I think that's the one thing I would really want to have. If I could have anything going into the tournament, especially if you have a quarterback and both of these teams do, is to have a hot have a hot defense. Have a defense that's that's making life difficult on everyone. Now that said, you know Aaron Rodgers is playing at sort of uh, as high a level as Brady Brady Papinga said as high a level as he really has in his career, at least in this last month. So you got a hot quarterback against a hot defense, and and sort of which way does it go? Uh, one of the things I'll I'll sort of be keeping an eye on here is is pre pregame report, and it's 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 interesting sort of what happened a week ago with the Packers where, yes, they get through that Lions game, very impressive win for them. Things are rolling. They got 14 dudes on the injury report. Now, again, as a former player, I think we both know that sometimes people are just thrown on that thing, and questionable may mean they're playing. No big deal. But what happened in that Lions game is you got guys getting carted off. (laughs) The secondary, which had been one of the other, you know, what's wrong with Aaron was sort of a midseason talking point because he wasn't playing his best ball. He's been hotter than hell now. But also Packers secondary, you know, they, they, they went through so many bodies. They were rotating so many people through, getting past second-string guys and going to free agents and bringing them up. And, and for this particular game, as of at least right now as we're taping the show, Quentin Rollins, uh, cornerback, you know, neck, and, neck concussion, whatever you want to call it from a week ago, wasn't practicing. Uh, the other cornerback, Demarius Randall, knee not practicing so uh you know we're we're kind of at that point where excuse me he's limited so we don't know to what extent he's getting involved but if i want to know if eli manning can can go and sort of reinvigorate this offense they can come up with something some some production that they really didn't see for them through most of this year other than through odell 
I think that secondary health really matters. So game day inact or game day inactives will be a big deal if if they're going through and just sort of winging it on the back end. I think that that opens things up for it to be a little more competitive. If for whatever reason they're able to tape and and gummy and <laughs> sort of put themselves back together and give semblance of the the secondary we've seen from the Packers in the last in the last month, well then never mind. I think this could be non-competitive as well because I think I think the Packers have played against good defenses and played above them. So regardless of how hot your group has been, they've really found enough ways because Aaron has been brilliant. I really think he has. And the ability to spread the ball to so many different places and to have Montgomery as a potential back threat. Uh, People talk about the the Packers not having a run game throughout the year. I just think they didn't have a traditional one, but they've been able to find production there. So it's not like they can't go to that and the offensive line blocks those, those kinds of plays quite well. So I, I kind of err towards thinking this is going to be a, a sizable Packers win as well. But in doing that, I'm discounting the Giants' defense, and that's probably not wise. So I think that's probably what makes this the most the most compelling game of the four. It's two game, two teams that can that that have legitimate reasons for why this should be their game. Uh, the one thing I would say is, and and it's frustrating. You kind of touched on it, Brady. That that the, this New York Giants' offense, especially with a coordinator in McAdoo whose who's shtick is his offense, right? I mean, that's in part why he's there. He's the old OC. Uh, it, it's been, I would argue, probably the weakest of the eight that are in this tournament. Um, you know, maybe the Lions are sort of neck and neck with them about teams that have have struggled offensively, you know, full full 60 minutes kind of deal. But it, it's not, it, it's, it's sort of the old, OBJ show, and that's kind of it. You know, the running game is occasionally there, the Paul Perkins stuff, or maybe Jennings or a little bit of production, but never a wire-to-wire thing. Who's going to get that second or third wide receiver production? Victor Cruz is not the guy we remember. Maybe healthy next year, and he will be. But it's just not an offense that I think threatens you enough ways to where there's legitimate concern there. And it allows the Packers, I think, to get after him, you know, and to, to maybe force a turnover or two out of Eli and in a road game. So I, I just think, uh, you know, Sunday will be a revelation. We'll see where it goes. But if if it sticks to script how a lot of these teams have been playing recently, I think the Packers have, have a really nice matchup. So for you yourself, Brady, uh, what are you going to be into this week? I'm assuming studio shows not working, working an actual game this week? Yes, studio shows. So doing some radio, doing some studio uh, for CBS, uh, their digital platform, their online platform. So uh, kind of finishing that up this year, but really just taking in and enjoying the games. I haven't had, you know, when you work a game, you all the time kind of miss out as a fan and just, you know, as a former player, being able to watch a lot of it, uh, whether you're watching DirecTV or watching the Red Zone. So I'll, I'll be looking forward to that more than anything else. Isn't that fun, man? I mean, it's I've got that this week too because of Patriots on a bye week. So I'm not, I'm not, I got nothing to do but just sit back and be a fan. And I love that sort of like we talked on off the top that I get to do it three nights in a row, which is great. I mean, this is, it's just such a feeling of freedom. I still got to go in and do TV after the games in the evening, but just rap shows, easy stuff. So we can kind of talk big picture, which is, which is fun. But I think there is a sentiment. I, I did some podcasts here with our, our blog talk radio stuff that the, the FBF podcast sits on and Matt Williamson, uh, former scout, uh, you know, guy that you guys can find on Twitter. Matt's all over the place, but he sort of talked about how he thought this is sort of a, a dog shit weekend of football not that they wouldn't be interesting (laughs) but there's there's a few really bad matchups that he didn't think would be competitive he might be right uh i'm just i'm a little more uh 
positive about this and thinking that I think it's sometimes good when two bad two teams with a lot of issues play one another because it can go any any number of ways. Uh, and that's kind of what you're getting out of the Raiders and, and Texans and, and, and some of the other ones as well. But I, I think I'm excited about it, so I don't want anyone raining on my parade. I'm going to have a good time with this weekend <laughs> in, in college. But, uh, hey, man, enjoy that, that young young baby you've got there. You get a little more home time there with the, with the kid and get enjoy some football. So have at it. I will. I'll make sure to do so. You enjoy it as well. All right, buddy. Take care. Great stuff. And that's all we got for this week's FBF podcast in the game. As always, there with Brady Quinn, Brady Papinga popping in with some game thoughts of his own, uh, like Brady touched on there. Uh, Brady Papinga is going to be on Fox Deportes, so check him out there this weekend if you want to catch out uh, a little game in Spanish. I always <laughs> love to. I haven't done it yet this year, folks, and uh, just for a, for a kick, if you're a fan of this show, I know you're not going to be able to understand what's going on, but maybe. Uh, Maybe somehow, some way, it'll still be entertaining. I want to hear Brady do do a, an in-game thing in, in another language sometime, and that could be fun. Uh, well, I'll have no idea what he's saying, but I'll still be entertained by it. But anyhow, uh, thanks as always for checking out the show. Uh, remember to always go over to that footballbyfootball.com. Make your way over to the YouTube page if that's easier for you. We have our Facebook page as well. The Twitter handle is FB by FB. Matt Chatham, Brady Quinn, Brady Papinga. Loving life, folks. Big football weekend. Enjoy yourself. Be safe out there. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football insight by football players. Hi, Lucky. Hi, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned.